Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Jen Braverman, Matthew Healy, and Chris Frankel from the El Segundo Swim Club coming up in just a little bit. But first, I am joined by my good friend. He's a passionate advocate of the Houston restaurant scene and a frequent traveler. Matt Harris, welcome back to the show. How are you? Doing well, sir. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for being here. Matt, we have a lot to talk about, so I'm not going to dilly-dally. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Um, I don't ever want to be too self-referential on the podcast. I don't want to assume that the people who are listening this week listened last week, but I do think that the news that we broke on the show last week that Anthony Callio has partnered up with Presidio chef Adam Doris to open a new restaurant in Montrose where Brooklyn athletic club used to be is maybe the most exciting piece of news recently in the world of Houston restaurants. Anthony obviously had a great run with pie pizza. He left that concept at the beginning of this year, and now he has a new opportunity. And so let me just, let me just put this to you. Were you a pie pizza fan? And what do you think about the prospect of Anthony working with Adam Doris? Uh, I was a pie pizza fan. I I would uh, couch that in saying that I'm probably a bigger Anthony fan than Pie Pizza, uh, a Adam Doris fan as well. Um, you know, those guys have collaborated in the past, and I think uh, the potential for what they do with that space um, at Brooklyn Athletic Club, being in the Montrose area, uh, portents very well, not just for them, but for the uh, public. Yeah, let me... Right. I think, you know, Anthony, as, as he talked about last week, mostly a self-taught chef, right? He's gotten good mentorship from a number of people along the way, people like, you know, LJ Wiley and Jason Hill and Becky Masson even. But this collaboration, you know, Adam is, is very well trained, very experienced. Uh, I think there was a, a moment in time when he was at Pax Americano when that was maybe the best restaurant in Houston, we're on the very short list of the best restaurants in Houston. And one of the things that defines Adam's cooking is that he is very conscientious about sourcing good quality local ingredients. I mean, if you ask farmers like at the farmer's market or, you know, we have the low agronomics guys on the show a few months ago, who do you sell to? You know, inevitably Justin, you Chris Shepard, Adam Doris, right? Those are three names you always hear. So, that puts Adam in pretty elite company and Anthony has kind of a madcap or a like an instinctive genius almost. He probably wouldn't want me to use that word, but there it is for flavor combinations and, and putting dishes together. And so Adam's technique and interest in ingredients with Anthony's instincts and desire to please people. That's a restaurant I want to eat at. And the Brooklyn Athletic Club space has so much potential indoor, outdoor, you know, it's big, but not too big. 
I just I I'm very excited about this. And and you know he's he's previewing some of the dishes at Presidio every Monday night. He's calling it Magic Mondays, which may or may not be a hint at what they're going to be calling the new restaurant. It is. If you were wondering, if you were wondering, uh, I did not get to go uh, this Monday, but I will certainly be there uh, in a Monday very soon. And so I'm, I'm just very optimistic about this. No, I think so. Um, it, you know, I've, I've followed Anthony for a while. Um, remember when he uh, pie pizza was a regular, the truck was a regular there at Catbirds, uh, and would routinely go get a pizza. Um, he's he's a hard worker uh he he really puts it all out there he he really puts himself out there um and uh i appreciate that as a diner i remember his uh doing some pop-ups which were not pizza at grand prize bar and was like the food was not only interesting but yeah i when you're reading the menu and like wow this i'm i'm okay and then you, right, I don't know how these ingredients are going to work together. Hundred percent. And then you have you know like, okay, that's that's really good and memorable. Uh, and and I think the memorable part is is something that maybe uh, we don't that that is is more important than we think of in about about a good restaurant. Right. I, you know, it's the it's the what do you go there to get right restaurants need a certain amount of an identity you know like at roost you know the menu changes all the time but that fried cauliflower with the bonito flakes is always on the menu right so you know that whatever else you're getting that day you're going for that you know or if you you know i go to Polly's all the time right i'm i'm going for either the spaghetti bolognese or the bucatini pasta the spicy bucatini pasta you know there's and every restaurant needs a couple of dishes on the menu that are just, you know, guaranteed home runs, the kind of things that people keep coming back for again and again. And Anthony is good at creating that kind of stuff. Agreed. All right, let us move on. Uh, another hashtag culture map exclusive. The news that Hubble and Hudson Bistro in the Woodlands is rebranding. It will be called Tris starting in September. T-R-I-S, named after Chef Austin Simmons' daughter. Uh, this is something that's been a long time coming. When Hubble and Hudson Bistro opened, it was the companion restaurant to Hubble and Hudson Market, a high-end grocery store. That closed four years ago. And just colloquially, as I'm telling people about the things that Austin is doing at Hubble and Hudson, because I've always been a, a fan of his cooking or, or what he does at the Tasty Menu Concept Curate, Inevitably, they say to me, Hubble and Hudson, didn't that close? And so this rebrand makes a lot of sense to me. I, I, I'll throw it to you. What do you think? I, and as I mentioned, it, it uh, uh, agreed. And, and I think there's something about it that sort of motivated me more to go out there and try it. Um, obviously aware of, of Austin's talent, where the location uh, have projects out in that area, um, but sort of seemed to spark something into me to uh, to go out there, and so on that level, it, it. I don't obviously they didn't do it just for me, 
but it, it made sense that I, I understood it sort of fundamentally on, on what they were doing. Yeah. And I, you know, I have to say this idea that they're pulling out some of the booths to put in more tables, to make it easier to serve people, to make it a little more comfortable, to cater to their business crowd that kind of keeps that place going Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. Um, that'll make sense to me. Austin is very excited about his general manager, Chris Perry, who came to Hubble and Hudson or Tris from Robards, the uh, upscale steakhouse, the Woodlands Resort. Um, and he feels like he's really got a great team front of house and in the kitchen uh, that he can grow with. And he's pretty honest about, I want to be inside the Houston city limits. And so getting Tris up and running uh, and doing, you know, his kind of ambitious food. I mean, they're always going to have a great steak program. We're always going to have good seafood, but he does like these global flavors. Uh, when he was on the show, I said, what's your favorite ingredient? He said, kimchi, right? So they have a whole preservation program and fermentation program. It's a big part of what they're doing. And, you know, kind of exploring some of that stuff, doing, you know, a Korean dish with all Korean ingredients or a Thai dish with all Thai ingredients or a Spanish octopus dish with all Spanish ingredients. That's, that's where he wants to go. He's French trained. He wants to focus on sauce work. All the little details that, that turn good dishes into great ones. And I've, I've long thought that Hubble and Hudson Bistro is the best restaurant in the Woodlands. And he wants to take things up another level for Tris. And uh, I'm in on all of that. And I, and I think there's something to, to matching the identity of the concept with the identity, the creative identity of the chef. Um, and so when, when there's a disconnect there, um, you know, I think things, you're, you, maybe Austin's not there in a year or two, you know, the chefs move on. So this rebranding, uh, gives a chance to sort of reset that, get those two identities on the same page and build from there, move inside the Houston city limits. Um, right now he only has the one daughter so you may have to talk to his wife if they're, if they're gonna if they're gonna open another restaurant and they need another name you may have to talk to his wife about whether or not they're gonna have a second child uh but just to that point about you know him i you know as far as i can tell he's all in on this uh he's been with hubble and hudson for a long time i think ownership is committed to him that's one of the reasons they rebranded it was to give it to give the restaurant a personal connection to him. Um, it didn't make it into the culture map article, but one of the things he told me was, you know, I was born in Arlington. I went to school in Austin. I've lived here for seven years. You know, I like to hunt and fish and golf and I can't do those things in San Francisco or New York. So I'm a Texan through and through. I'm not going anywhere, which like, you know, hunt, fish, golf, Texas is pretty much great for all three of those things. No, and, and, and I think, well, you know, having another kid for, for <laughs> so you can name, so a, you second can name restaurant, a new restaurant. Yeah, that maybe not. That, that's the level of commitment I'm, I'm not sure I'm familiar with. Um, but, um, but, you know, I give, I give that the whole group credit of being able to step back and, and say, hey, we, we need to do something here. Um, and so we can push this concept forward. Um, there are, are uh, 
I think plenty of, of examples in the Houston dining scene um, where that didn't happen and chefs move on and, and aren't necessarily even in Houston anymore. Um, and that's uh, some lost talent there. So it's good to, good to, to have uh, Austin around. Absolutely. Uh, and then I should note uh, the biggest opening uh, this week, uh, maybe not quite this month, but certainly this week, uh, St. Arnold has opened their restaurant uh, and beer garden. This is uh, a new a new building next to the brewery, um, still under the direction of Chef Ryan Savoie, who has been with them for uh, three or four years now since they started doing the food program. But it is otherwise um, a much more ambitious setup than what they have been doing food-wise in the tap room. Uh, it's got a full menu, app starters, you know, apps and shareables, salads, uh, a whole new pizza program, entrees like shrimp and grits and steak, um, full service inside and out. Uh, it's a big step up for St. Arnold. And I, I talked to Brock Wagner about it, the owner of St. Arnold, uh, for an article on Culture Map. And, uh, you know, he wants the focus to stay on the beer. Like, you can, you can go into that restaurant and just sit down and have a couple pipe, couple pints, easy for me to say. You don't have to order food from Brock's perspective. But if you want to order food, they want the food to be so good that it stands up to what they feel is the quality of their beer, which is excellent. So it's an interesting addition. And from Brock's perspective, uh, potentially a tourist destination, right? All of these breweries now open with tap rooms. Uh, Eighth Wonders has been very popular. We talk about that. You know, they're a sponsor of the show. We talk about that all the time. Uh, Buffalo Bayou is about to build a $10 to $15 million facility in Sawyer Yards. It's going to have a restaurant and a beer garden. Carbach has a restaurant and a beer garden. You know, even little breweries open up with tap rooms that are comfortable places to eat and drink. So St. Arnold needed to step their game up. They have stepped their game up. Uh, Matt, you're not a, you're not a beer drinker, but are you intrigued enough about what they're doing at St. Arnold to eat there? Uh, unequivocally, yes. The, uh, and would also mention they have root beer on draft. They do. They have water. They have the St. Arnold root beer, which is excellent. Uh, water, iced tea, a couple other things for people who are not beer drinkers. They have nitro coffee, by the way. That's pretty give you a good boost. Yes, and so I, yeah, so I've I've been over there. I think it's um, there's there's a lot lot of uh, meat on that bone, if you will. Uh, it's it's a fun place. I've seen some of the renderings, um, and I I think that they'll do very well. They already have a you know great following. It's great people over there. It's a great story. Um, and the food stands up to the experience and the people and the beer. Got, that's a pretty winning combination. Yeah, and so the one thing that I haven't seen talked about very much is that Ryan has a couple ringers in the kitchen with him. Uh, the first is Jason Hill, who uh, was one of the creative minds behind the H-Town Streets food truck. It was very successful. He had Love Me Tenders, a chicken tender concept that, uh, didn't work out, but not because the food wasn't delicious for other reasons. Um, and who was kind of treading water at the Dell for a half second, but 
Uh, Jason's a very creative chef, a very talented guy. Uh, I also have a guy named Jason Tedford, who, if you're a barbecue person, you're nodding your head as I say this, but Jason Tedford was Wayne Miller's right hand at Louis Miller Barbecue for years. And he and his family moved to Houston. He needed a job. He wound up at St. Arnold. I asked Ryan, I was like, getting in the barbecue business? He's like, well, we have Jason and we have a smoker. We haven't really started testing it yet, but I'd say there's probably going to be at least B-plus barbecue. Uh, Jason Tedford certainly knows what he's doing. He worked at one of the very best Texas barbecue joints for a very long time. And uh, the idea that potentially you could get maybe brisket, maybe ribs, who knows. Uh, I, I certainly feel like the quality of the house-made sausage at St. Arnold is probably going to get, it's already pretty good. I think it's about to get even a little better. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all in on this. And, and the place looks great. You know, it's, it's the restaurant itself has kind of a chapel design. They're kind of putting the Saint in St. Arnold and the inside, there are six mini chapels all painted by local artists all on, uh, you know, Brock just basically told them do whatever you want. And they did. And they're gorgeous and they're fun. And, you know, this is, this is a, this is a great addition, I think for uh, beer people and not beer people. Agreed, you know, again, to uh, sort of go back to the metaphors, more meat on the bone, literally as well as figuratively. Uh, and you can just see where this can trend up, right? Beer dinners, barbecue dinners, uh, frequent host of the barbecue throwdown. So um, just a, uh, and these are all things that, I think are very uh, Houston centric. This, you know, St. Arnold's is part of the fabric of the Houston food and beverage community. And this just takes it uh, to the next level. Absolutely. Uh, And then I do want to hit on one item from kind of the larger food world. Uh, Jonathan Gold, a longtime restaurant critic for the LA times passed away over the weekend uh, from pancreatic cancer at the age of 57. Um, this was a, a huge shock globally. Uh, really one of the preeminent food writers anywhere in the country. Uh, the only food writer, the only food critic to win a Pulitzer Prize. Um, I'm going to leave the tributes for people who knew him better than I did. Uh, Pete Wells, Ruth Reichel, Ed Levine on Serious Eats. Um, but Matt, I know you were a fan of Jonathan Gold's, and so I just want to kind of throw it to you if you had any thoughts. Um, the well, from I will say that you know his reviews sort of move me and speak to me in a way that it transcends food, um, and uh, you see the things that that people sort of icons and titans in the industry say about him, David Chang says. Right, right. On on Instagram, David Chang called him the goat. The goat. He doesn't know any Korean that knows more about Korean food than Jonathan Gold. You know, Rene Redzepi said he's smarter than anyone. Um, Francis Lamb talked about how it, it, what he was able to do was not just get us to know ourselves better, but to understand each other more clearly. Um, 
So I think there it, it's there's it, it's it's larger than food um, because I think that that's who Jonathan Gold was. Um, the crossover into communities, it was it was something in 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 these times as divisive as they are, it's 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 really acute to um, sort of lose that voice. So uh, and and so sudden. I mean, it's yeah. It's, right. I mean, he was publishing reviews uh, as recently as June, and and now he's gone, and it's just such a shock. Um, two two things that sort of occurred to me as I was reading these these tributes to him. Uh, there was a quote about, you know, when when trying to decide on a restaurant to dine at, uh, you should probably choose the one that's fifteen minutes farther than you want to go. Uh, that certainly applies to Houston. You know, it is it is very easy, even as a professional, um, to fall into the rut of, I don't feel like going to Chinatown or Long Point or Katy or whatever. Like, I'm just going to, I'm going to go to the familiar place and eat something easy and inexpensive and just, you know, check the meal box and move on. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, as you alluded to, David Chang said he knew more about Korean food than any Korean um, you know, it, it's, it's a lesson, you know, from my perspective to research these cuisines of, you know, the, the countries that inspired the restaurants that we're dining at and to, to try to learn more about their ingredients and their history. Uh, it's not something I do very often and it's something I should do more of. And so, you know, just as like going forward, right taking the extra time, learning a little more, asking another question or two. Um, you know, I need to be accountable for that. And so hopefully this, you know, inspires a whole nother generation of people to follow his lead. I mean, certainly, you know, what Rob Walsh did at the Houston press for a long time, you know, going into, going into these communities and introducing people to these restaurants, um, you know, probably don't do enough of that and probably should do more of that. And, uh, you know, even if we don't always have the readership for it, right? Like it's just a civic, it's a civic good to, to do these things. So that's what I take from it. Uh, you know, condolences to all his family and friends, but, uh, yeah, it's a sad, it's a sad day in the food world for sure. Well, and I think one of the things, um, that he did, um, as well as he, elevated sort of the transactional role of food um as as we get busy in our lives uh eating just becomes part of our sort of daily schedule routine responsibilities uh and and we lose sight a little bit about what food represents and the community surrounding food um and you know you read his his reviews and they're almost like great works of fiction, but then you realize, no, this is like, this is a real, like actual, this is nonfiction. Right. And that the way that he always used the second person, right. You might want to order it this way or, or you should definitely order it that way. You know, that would be really hacky and terrible in the hands of anyone without, his sense of place and narrative ability. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, I would never want to do that. 
that that's that's not how I write, and it would be, it would not be an homage. It would just be a, a ham-fisted. It would be like the cover band. You know, it's not the same. But bringing the reader in, uh, making them feel like they're part of the experience, getting people. You know, I read his reviews. You know, I've been ever since the City of Gold documentary came out. I've been I've made it a point to read his reviews. You know, making me care about restaurants that I will never eat at. Uh, and and experiences that I will never have. I think that was one of his great gifts. And uh, yeah, it's, it's he he will certainly be missed. Yeah, I just I, I think he just uh, was a a special person, and and his his medium was food reviews, but uh, his role was was much much larger. All right. Well, I think that does it for. The news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? So, Matt, for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk about a couple of places we have dined at recently. Uh, the first is Restaurant Indigo. This is the new uh, tasting menu concept from Chef Johnny Rhodes, who has worked at the Inn at Dos Brises. He worked at uh, Oxheart. He spent a little bit of time in New York. Um, I think maybe working at Gramercy Tavern. He's got a uh, he's got an interesting life story. He's a he was a Marine. He's uh, you know, and he he wants to, he's the concept is neo soul food, and the restaurant is located in Lindale Park, which is not a place that tasty menu restaurants in Houston are typically located. Um, we got a preview of three of the five courses that he's going to be serving at Restaurant Indigo when it opens this week. Um, I don't know. What did you think about your meal? What did you What did you think about your experience at Restaurant Indigo? Um, yeah, give give Johnny and his team a lot of credit uh, for their ambition. Um, the The idea of neo soul food is uh, something that I find, you know, curious and interesting in a way that makes me want to experience it. Um, so it's been a while in, in, in the making and, uh, it's good to actually see the doors, uh, open for business. Um, there was some things that I really enjoyed, uh, the biscuit in particular, um, I will say maybe was, was an emotional experience. Uh, it was, it was really. <laughs> yeah. Was with very, the, the aged dairy, I'm not. And I kind of asked him about well, what is aged dairy? And he's like, well, it's kind of like aging cheese. Um, I'm still not quite sure what he's doing to let the milk get old without like it spoiling in a way that makes it inedible. And wheat flour. Yeah. So yeah, that, uh, um, you know, those are the types of experiences that, um, will, I think, um, draw people to come back because. Right. I mean, a lot of the menu is built around preservation. I mean, he was serving us, uh, pickled smoked carrots that he pickled two years ago, you know, that they've been kind of waiting for their time to be ready, um, and, and, you know, a lot of the menu is informed by that. 
you know, we had a really nice, uh, nicely cooked piece of snapper uh, with Ramp Ranch. And he, you know, the ramps were from a couple of years ago. And, and so all of those, um, all that stuff makes it interesting to me. Um, I am concerned about selling a five course meal at $79. That does seem like a lot of money to me. I know the passes five courses for $65. It's a very refined experience. It's a very elegant dining room. Um, I don't know how many people are going to want to pay that much money to eat at, I mean, admittedly an attractive space, but one that's, uh, you know, next to a convenience store in a, in a neighborhood that's off the beaten path, at least by inside the loop standards. Um, but I really, I've always admired Johnny's ambition and overall, I liked the dishes that we ate for the most part, even if I don't always follow the story he's telling about what inspired them. And so, you know, it's difficult to tell people like, go do this thing. But, you know, this is someone who's going to take a little while to find himself, I think. And he's going to be in a conversation with his diners about their expectations versus his intentions and it's going to need some supporting to kind of get it off the ground. No, I, yes. Uh, well said. I, I think there's uh, a little bit of faith um, that uh, is going to be required um, for this concept. To... Yeah, well, and a little bit of patience, right? Like it, it may not be, you, you may not always feel like you got your money's worth in the beginning, but if you, you know, this, this concept is so ambitious and so interesting it's probably worth supporting anyway, maybe for some people. Yes. No, I, 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 you know, it is, it's, it's outside the loop. Um, it's, uh, a different spin. Uh, I, I found the, the menu, you know, unique in ways. Um, the concept Neo soul food, unique, um, very ambitious, a uh, little, I, I think if if that ambition can connect with the identity of of what he's trying to achieve with his talent, now now all of a sudden you've got something that's that's really interesting and that you I that I would look back in year two years three years and say you know I was here right in, in right I was one. at the beginning of yes. this thing and I got to experience this. And it's a better restaurant, like you could kind of see it, and it's a way better restaurant now, but I'm glad I got to be there for the beginning. Exactly. And then just briefly, uh, I want to mention Wanabao, uh, the new Chinese restaurant in Midtown, uh, known primarily because they're serving soup dumplings. I mean, they have a whole menu of Sichuan dishes. I've I've been twice for soup dumplings. I haven't had any of the... There's like a duck dish on the menu that looks pretty good. There's some other stuff on the menu that looks pretty good. I haven't had any of that. I've really only had uh, soup dumplings. Uh, but I will say those soup dumplings were damn good. Uh, they were uh, the actual construction of the dumpling was unbelievably thin and elastic uh, and impressive even before eating it. Um, and and they, were, they were very, very good. I am happy that... Uh, we have a an option inside the loop that uh, is at that level, right? Uh, I think part of 
you know, you were, I'll, I'll be explicit about what you were suggesting, which is the, the wrapper itself, the, the thinness of the skin, uh, the overall size of the dumpling, uh, that's really excellent. The, the texture of the wrapper, all of that is excellent. Um, the filling itself, the, the meat of the dumpling, the broth, um, a little mild maybe, like I'd like a little more pork flavor, uh, but it does come with that spicy sauce. And when you dip the whole thing in the spicy sauce and the sauce and the broth mingle together, it's it's a great bite. The the sauce definitely elevated um, the the flavor um, of of the bite. You know, I think we talked a little bit about the the dumpling, uh, the wrapper uh, being uh, like a tortilla and a taco, um, and I can be much more forgiving about the the filling of the taco than I can be about the tortilla. Right, because you can add you can always add salsa to the filling to perk up the filling, but you can't fix a bad tortilla. All right, uh, that does it for our restaurants of the week. Matt, thanks very much. Thank you. I will be right back with Jim Braverman, Matthew Healy, and Chris Frankel. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Our interview this week is brought to you by Eighth Wonder Brewery, one of my favorite local breweries, conveniently located in East Downtown. It's been really fun to watch Eighth Wonder evolve from its sort of humble beginnings in a little corner of a warehouse to now a gigantic warehouse, the huge backyard that they call Wonder World, where you can go before sports games, especially with uh, soccer season and baseball season heating up. Eighth Wonders Brewery is conveniently located uh, within walking distance. You might see my colleague Fred Fowler walking around there. I know it's a favorite spot of his. And there's always something new to try at Eighth Wonder. Like they just released their Procrastinator Session IPA, the official beer of doing nothing. They're going to have their hip-hop series rolling out here in the next little bit. And, you know, you can always count on an 8th Wonder Beer to be refreshing, delicious, and fresh because it's made right here locally all the time. So thank you to 8th Wonder, and here's our interview of the week. I'm joined this week by Matthew Healy, Chris Frankel, and Jim Braverman from El Segundo Swim Club, the very exciting new pool bar. Uh, that just opened in the second ward. Guys, I'm going to introduce you one by one so people can hear your voices. Matthew, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing well, thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me. Uh, Chris, welcome back to the show. How are you? Good. Good to see you, man. And Jen, of course, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. So, Matthew, let me start with you uh, because, as I said, I've I've had Chris and Jen on the show before. How did you How did you wind up in Houston? Uh, I mean, you're not like a you're not, you're not typically connected to the restaurant business. So how did you, or the bar business? So, so how did you, how did you wind up in Houston? Let's just kind of start at the beginning. Yeah, sure. So I, uh, I grew up in Chicago, um, and actually moved to New York for a couple of years after uh, after college. Um, and work brought me down to Houston right at the height of the oil boom. Um, and. I just really enjoyed the city. I really enjoyed the people uh, and the culture down here, and so I decided to stick around. Uh, the one thing about Houston, though, is it's it's really, really hot, and so I was always looking for kind of places to cool down around the city, um, and that was, like, my one complaint about the city was just how hot it was in the summer and how long those summers lasted. So when did you decide to build 
a swimming pool on essentially what's an empty lot in a very industrial part of the city? Uh, it's pretty much been my dream since the first summer I was down here about six years ago. Uh, it took me a little while to realize it. Um, had to scout out locations um, and try to find something that really worked for it. Uh, but I started the actual construction on the pool about two years ago um, and had the pool complete last year. Um, had some private pool parties uh, just for me and some local friends um, last summer. And then decided to turn it into a bar um, and private swim club uh, last year and have been working on that since. Okay, so why did you decide that this thing that you had kind of initially built just as kind of for your own private amusement was something you wanted to start sharing with the public? It seemed like just a really good opportunity for the people in Houston to uh, kind of cool down uh, with. Uh, with me and with my friends and uh, seems almost like a public service to have that open uh, <laughs> to give people that kind of outlet and that kind of opportunity um, and so that's that's really what led to it uh, and then Jen I know, I know you've known Matthew for a long time when did you when did you get on board with this well it just kind of evolved for the same way with us as it did with him we were working with him on his residence and then he mentioned that he wanted to build a swimming pool and we said that sounds like fun so we started helping design the area around it for his personal use and as it evolved into this project we just came along for the ride i know that it's it's been sort of written that you you're sort of inspired by a specific brazilian artist how did how did that become the the focus for the design choices? Well, it was kind of twofold, threefold. In all of our charrettes and conversations, we were looking at ways to make the space feel unique, yet still at home somehow in the industrial environment that you mentioned. The Brazilian ideas came up when we were discussing how intricately we were going to design the landscape, which is still... In the works, um, but the uh, Brazilian, uh, the famous uh, Brazilian landscape artist um, Burley Marx was an, an inspiration because of the boardwalk down there and just the vibe that it gave the the beaches, and um, we wanted to capture some of that as well as the favela tones of the residential areas, and it no matter what's going on around it always feels cheerful and a little bit like a party. So we worked that into what was a, originally a very industrial mute um, palette. And then we, we, we kind of flipped it and tried to make it something a little more, a little vibrant spot in the middle of that super industrial neighborhood. I mean, our neighbors are a concrete crushing facility. So <laughs> we, the shipping uh, container cabanas were kind of a nod to the uh, industry and well, and, and I mean, you know, certainly Moon Tower Inn has had a lot of success with shipping container bars in the Second Ward, so it's not it's not something that's totally foreign to people, I guess. Um, Chris, how about you? When did you when did you get recruited into this? Actually, kind of pretty late in the game, like kind of right after you had a culture map had posted the announce the initial announcement. Um, I was kind of I remember looking at it and saying that's either going to be really crazy or really awesome because it just like 
you see built like a really cool pool concept in a very kind of far out industrial neighborhood. So then a few a few like a few weeks later, I got a message on LinkedIn actually. It's Matt, and he kind of we kind of said like, so I'm the guy doing the swim club. Um, and I thought over it, and I think actually kind of the funny thing was like I think the tiebreaker and kind of what made me go ahead with it was um I saw Jen's name on it, so I knew like okay you have someone who's got a lot of experience in this, someone's really kind of established, like he's pretty serious about making this thing cool. So it's cool. It was great to be on board. Uh, and you opened, I guess, the week of July 4th. I mean, <laughs> I mean, how's it going? It, I mean, I, I mean, I will tell you, we got tremendous readership on my article, just sort of telling people that you guys had opened. I think there's, there's a lot of excitement about it. Um, Matthew, how do you feel like it's going so far? Yeah, so we did a preview event July 4th weekend, uh, and that was pretty much the rainiest, most <laughs> flooded preview <laughs> event that I have seen um, for anything. Uh, it was like pretty much five days of, of rain. But when it did clear up, we got a lot of people just coming out to check it out and, and see what was actually there. Um, so the response so far has been really, really positive. Um, People think it's sort of a random, interesting thing in Houston that you can just drive down uh, Navigation Boulevard and kind of pop into this really lush green space um, and have a drink and a uh, dip in, a, in the pool. Yeah, it does seem like a very kind of quirky Houston thing to just be, you know, navigation. And you get to Lockwood, and there's the mattress factory, and then like you go, <laughs> you go three more blocks, and it's sort of fenced off, and there's yeah. a parking lot. And you're like, oh yeah, there's a really, there's a, there's a really like fun, accessible pool with, with drinks and and lounge chairs. It it does, it there's something about the like utter randomness of it that, it's like the beer can house or you know something like that that just pops up in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, someone asked me if it was a little bit of Austin and Houston. I said, no, no, no. This is a little bit of Houston and Houston. This is very yeah, Houston. No, this is very perfect, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, Chris, I know you put together the cocktail menu. Just what were, what was the sort of guiding principle? I mean, obviously, refreshing is the, is the key, but the, in terms of having, like, the large format and the, mm -hmm. the different choices. Well, I think the first thing was to keep it simple and not go over the top because people are there to swim. They don't, they don't want to, like wait for something you know more elaborate they don't they just want something cold and refreshing in their, in their in their hands so it's pretty easy to kind of focus on pictures i think we're noticing the environment's very communal like people will come in groups of three or four kind of like get camp out and get the little space and then get bottles of wine or pictures like it's almost all large format is what we're selling which is kind of new for for my experience compared to a regular like just one at a time bar right yeah you're not so, so you're not selling as much like individual cans of beer you're selling Right. It's like our pitcher cocktails are like by far the biggest sellers, which is kind of and they're all pretty much selling in equal amounts, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, that, that Paloma is really delicious. Yeah. I mean, that, that would have been my choice. But um, <laughs> Jen, I know I know you have some plans to sort of improve and enhance the design. I mean, what what will we see kind of as as El Segundo evolves over the next couple of months? Well, the preview events of this summer provided us with the opportunity to assess how people used the space and cater to their needs moving forward. So it's been a great way to study what we've done so far and what should come after. I mean, the plans that we have now are to add additional cabanas, more lounge areas, and really lay it down with the landscape um, and uh, make it very finished. And we're just seeing... 
you know, how, how people move around the space before we finalize that. And as we make improvements throughout the summer, just kind of assessing the best possible uh, improvements to make. So, I mean, is there going to be like, do you, do you see like a game area? Like, is, I mean, it seems like volleyball or, you know, maybe, I, I don't know, croquet or something would all kind of make sense in the environment. Matthew's the pool party expert. I'll defer to him on that. <laughs> the only issue I have with volleyball is, like, those balls tend to go everywhere. Um, sure. And, like, it'd be really bad if someone's, like, pitcher of Paloma got knocked over by a straight <laughs> volleyball or something. Um, and yeah. so there's there's no real plans right now for kind of uh, backyard games, but um, we'll still see. We're still seeing how it evolves. And I, and I do have to ask, I mean, if the – we always hear about city permitting hassles and, and the, the city sort of changes its mind about what they will and won't say yes to. I mean, are you, are you in, have, have you gotten any pushback from, from the city of Houston on some of the stuff you're doing here? Oh, we've had like a very constructive uh, relationship and, and dialogue with the city. And, and so it's, uh, it's just been a really good working relationship. What, uh, what do you want to do kind of for the space? between sort of now and the end of the summer in response to what you're hearing from your customers? I think there's definitely some uh, more areas for lounge chairs um, and just maybe some communal lounge chairs. Uh, people tend to also want hammocks in the space too. Um, I haven't run that by Jin yet, so we'll see if there's actually some scenarios for that. Uh, but people like definitely want an area to like lounge at in, uh, after going in the pool. Um, so we'll just see how that uh, that works out. And then I guess there's not really like locker rooms or spaces to change or anything, right? That's not really part of it. Uh, not currently, but um, we're definitely going to add some uh, changing rooms uh, and an outdoor shower too. And then is there like, are there challenges associated with pool maintenance? I have to admit, I know, I know nothing about this, but I, uh, you know, I got a text from a friend that was like, thought the water looked a little green one day and I mean what are you what are you doing to just sort of maintain it yeah we have a maintenance company that uh that does all that um for us they come out there uh, a few times a week uh just make sure everything's good to go um just maintaining the pool and uh just keeping an eye on things and then I mean like who's coming is this like are you getting like a midtown crowd are you getting like people like you who live downtown or, or people who live in the second ward coming? I mean, like, like who's, who are your patrons at the El Segundo Swim Club? It's really diverse, which is, uh, which is great. We get a lot of people from the local neighborhood. Um, we get people from just all over. It, it's really people who are looking to relax by a pool um, and just kind of hang out for a couple hours. Um, it's not really crazy party environment so it's people who just want to have like a relaxing pool day um listen to some like pretty chill music and just have a drink by the pool it's it's actually been impressive kind of the range because like on, on one end i'll get like my kind of like crusty like industry friends will be like you know i'm never going to go anything that's remotely clubby that's just kind of not, you know i want to go somewhere like divey but they'll, they'll they'll give us a chance and they'll have a good time on the other hand you'll see people who would normally be going to like they're going to go to a club afterwards, and they're going to get dressed up afterwards. But this is their kind of warm up. But everyone kind of gets along. It's a nice and people from the neighborhood as well. Yeah, exactly. Showing up. I mean, the nice thing is that it's twenty one plus, so you're not going to have 
like kids splashing around there, <clears throat> like you know, kids in floaties. Like no, no, nobody. It's it's not it's not the cottonwood of pool bars. Nobody wants <laughs> nobody wants that. Adult swim. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the time. Yeah, <laughs> it's like Cartoon Network. Um, <laughs> and we should say, I mean, the pool is not the pool is designed for lounging. Like you're, you're not going to see someone like trying to swim laps in it. Yeah, that was intentional. The, the tanning shelves being the size they are, are really helpful for people who want to get in the water a little to cool down, but you're not up to your neck trying to balance a cocktail and figure yeah. out how to talk to your friend at the same time. So it's it's very conducive to socializing. Chris, I mean, you've, you've seen a lot of different bar environments. You're, you're doing some work also at Home and Draft House right now. I mean, is this, does this feel like the you know, we have we have all these patio bars that keep mm-hmm. opening. It never it never seems to end. You know, that's what's super trendy right now. Is this kind of part of that, or is this something different from that, in your opinion? I think they can be kind of tied as part of the larger trend. Like, I think you still need to have a selling point to have a good patio bar, because I think you're starting to see a lot of patio bars just kind of pop up with no direction or concept that no one really... I'm not going to name names, obviously, but, you know, that stuff that no one gives a, cares about. And then you see things like Holman has a really good beer selection, Axel Red has a really good design and kind of public space feel. Or um try to think of what else. Or like Truck Yard just has its kind of like carnival kind of novelty ambiance. That so Yeah, they have a, a giant Ferris wheel. Yeah. I mean that's a good <laughs> yeah. as, as gimmicks go, it's a very But I good mean one. like we have a pool and then still like you know, every other day, like right now in summer, like I'll see my friends posting on Facebook, like, hey, I'm off, who has a pool I can use? Hey, I'm off, who has a pool who has a pool I can use? So try to capture that. Yeah, I mean, Matthew, currently your your weekends only. I mean, do you do you see a point in time where you could be open like, you know, happy hours like, you know, five to nine during the week and then all day Saturday and Sunday? I mean, is that the is that how you'd like to grow this or? Yeah, there's definitely um, some opportunity to do that. We did a uh, after work happy hour last Friday uh, from like four to sunset and had a really nice turnout. Like, people came to swim. Other people just came in their work clothes, like, right after work uh, just to kind of hang out by the pool for the happy hour. Um, so if there's a, if there's demand and response there, uh, mm-hmm. I could definitely see that. And then are you getting inquiries from groups, like, we want to rent the cabanas, we want to rent the whole thing? I mean, are you, are you <laughs> developing those kind of programs for people? Uh, definitely. There's definitely a lot of interest in that. Um, we're just trying to find our footing first before we roll out more cabana rentals or entire space rentals. Um, so, uh, yeah, stay tuned for, for that. Yeah. I mean, I do kind of like the, the democratic openness of it, right? Like mm-hmm. show up, claim your spot, you know, that, um, I mean, I know you, you want to make money too with this, obviously. Yeah. There's definitely democratic openness, but there's also a lot of like, property rights about the like the lounge chairs and stuff like people claim the lounge chair immediately <laughs> put their towel down and like it becomes their space um so there's a, a little bit of that that goes on uh where if you show up early you can definitely get a, a lounge chair uh, and then it gets a little bit harder uh, later in the afternoon and then jen i don't um i know that the the landscaping isn't fully done yet so what are what are your plans for or yeah, what are your plans to kind of finish off the property? Well, um, there's going to be a lot of, as you can tell, there's already a trend towards the lush tropical planting, and that will continue hopefully so that the entire lot feels like a little oasis in the middle of the industrial neighborhood. Um, 
and my partner Brett Whitaker is a, a landscape architect. He's working on um, the design along with uh, Shamshi. has been um, doing the uh, all the coordination, and they've had some amazing ideas as well. So as that comes together, um, the the <laughs> one of Troy's original ideas was to take a shot of someone's drink close up, and then as you zoom out, you see them on a lounge in a pool and as you zoom out further you see the pool in this lush setting with all these cool organic shaped beds and then as you zoom out even further you see this awesome oasis like imagine you're in a drone and you see this awesome oasis in the middle of this crazy industrial neighborhood so kind of um kind of took its cue from that just how to create this cool organically shaped landscape environment um in this really rough area uh and then, Matthew, I mean, I, I know you're only a couple of weeks into this, but is this giving you, like, the bug? Do you do you want to invest in more <laughs> bar properties? Or uh, how, how are you feeling about your, your entry into uh, customer service? Yeah, no, I, I love it. And I could see myself just opening, like, 100 pool bars or pool swim clubs <laughs> across Houston. Um, yeah, just, it, no, it's been great so far. Uh, and it, it's really the, kind of like the positive uh, feedback and response we've been getting from people um, that makes it really rewarding. And also just having a pool when it's 95, 100 degrees outside, that's also pretty rewarding too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I don't know, you probably don't want me to say this, and I'm going to say it anyway. Like, don't pee in the pool. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because I worry about that, right, with people yeah. like drinking all day. I, I just feel like they're, they're not going to be as thoughtful of their – of their neighbors as maybe they should be. That's why we're designing really cool restrooms to lure people into them. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta check out those restrooms. <laughs> right, get the selfie in the bathroom, yeah, right? Yeah. Cool yeah. mural. Make sure you do it at least once a day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Still have faith in humanity. <laughs> um, Chris, how about on your end? I mean, do you, I mean, you have the three cocktails, the response right. has been good. I mean, are you going to, you gonna expand that at all, or? Well, we're also building out the bar space still. It's, I mean, we we have to get some more equipment and some more bottles. I think we're gonna just want to see what people get into first. I know Matt and I kind of talked about doing a lot more interesting wines. So like, not just like here's your bottle of like whatever house champagne and here's some dom, you know, but like more kind of interesting like here's an actual champagne bottle and rosé kind of and white wine menu that's thoughtful. So we'll do wine, cocktails. Mm, maybe <laughs> we'll see <Rose>. yeah <laughs> and then uh matt what about food sure so uh we have plans to do uh food trucks um we've kept some space on site uh for them and we are looking to partner with food trucks that would have a very kind of light poolside um kind of flavor to them so no like Beef burger topped with brisket and barbecue sauce. Type. Yeah, no, no chili cheese fries at the pool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just something that's like very kind of like a light bite and finger food type thing. That may be a challenge for some of the food trucks in this town. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, they're all sort of set up to be you know greasy bar food, but there's always tacos. There's always tacos, always tacos. <laughs> especially in that neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know, folks. I mean, I, I feel like that kind of gets me to the end of the. The questions, unless there's some aspect of this that uh, that you are just dying to talk about that I've not been thoughtful enough to, to ponder in advance. 
I think that's that's pretty much covers it. Yeah. All right. Well then, then Matthew, I like to end these interviews with what I call the lightning round. Uh, five easy questions, five short answers. Okay. Uh, just say the first thing that comes to mind. All right. Uh, Matthew Healy, where's your what's your fast food guilty pleasure? That what do you what do you buy when you seek out a drive through? Uh, raising canes, uh, just like six chicken tenders. <laughs> What's the first band you ever saw in concert? Uh, the Who. Um, it's definitely like an oldies, but they're, they're really good. Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Uh, Altuve. Where's your favorite place to get a burger in town? So I really liked Burger Guys um, when they were on Main Street before they closed, like so two years ago. That's that was a such very a loss. solid answer. Um, and so... Even though they're not around anymore, I'm still going to like go with that and hope they reopen someday. Because that was actually across the street from where I live, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that was a little bit of heaven for the year they were open. Uh, Stanton. Stanton City, but yeah, that's in your neighborhood, yeah. Yeah. Um, where's your favorite place to get a taco? Uh, let's see. The, uh, the taco truck outside of uh, West Alabama Ice House, um, Tierra Caliente. Yeah. Yeah. Solid answer. Yeah. Um, and then one of y'all just tell us the website, social media, all that stuff so that people can follow the Elsa Gendo Swim Club. Sure. We're most active on Instagram. So we're at Elsa Gendo Swim Club. Uh, so follow us there. Uh, we also post frequently on Facebook as well. So those are the two best, um, ways to see what we're up to. All right. Well, thanks for joining me guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for having us. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at eSandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next time.